Thank you, and thank you for the beautiful song ministration. We are nothing without God. It is he who has made us who we are. We are absolutely nothing without him. And Reverend Degree, thank you for the kind introduction. Um, I've known Reverend Digby for quite some time, and uh, Mrs. Digby, Joanna. Uh, we go back a long way, um, and there are quite a number of things we have in common. Um, he's mentioned some of them. Uh, both of us studied in the States, seminaries in the U.S., uh, Asbury, and uh, Trinity, you know, for me. Uh, we both taught at the Baptist Seminary, different times, um, in Nabuakwa. And then, as he said, we both pastored the New Tafel Baptist Church, now Central Baptist Church. Um, we both are married to people who used to teach. Huh? Um, so, <laughs> Auntie Joanna, as we know, is, uh, was a teacher and now moved to be a lawyer and pastor. My wife remains an educator, works in the school that uh, we founded. Well, this morning, I've been asked to speak on a topic Give in love and reap abundantly. Give in love and reap abundantly. And from the biblical text for our consideration, which was read for us, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 14, but I think we don't do justice to Paul's treatise of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and following if we don't add the verse 15. Because the verse 15 really the capstone of that treatise when Paul says, and thanks be to God for his unspeakable gifts. Because we really can't speak about giving without reference to God's great gift in Christ. So from the test and the theme, I draw this thesis statement for our reflection this morning. Giving love and reap abundantly, for God is the source and the reward of our giving. Give in love and reap abundantly, for God is the source and reward of our giving. Now, this statements directs audiences or readers to follow pieces of evidence a speaker or writer intends to explore or prove. And so this morning, I would like to contend that when we give in love, we will reap abundantly, for God himself is our source and our reward in giving. And I'd like to begin with some statements about Christian stewardship. And here, I'm making a case that a proper understanding of Christian giving begins with a proper understanding of four fundamental things. One, who we are as Christians that we belong to God, two, where our resources or blessings come from, that all that we have comes from God. And as believers, we need to understand that we give not only because we want to be blessed, but rather and more precisely, we give because we have already been blessed. And three, how accountable we are to each other that as a believer, I need to understand that what I have is not exclusively mine, and that what you have is not exclusively yours, and that we depend on each other. And four, 
what blessings from God are meant for. That the blessings of God in our lives are never meant to end with us. They are supposed to move towards him and towards others, which is also a way of giving back to him. Now, these are quite fundamental truths we need to come to terms with as we grow in our understanding of Christian stewardship and giving. When we do it, it really will have an impact. When we understand it, it really will have an impact on how we spend our money, how, when we spend our money, where we spend our money, and what we spend our money on as believers. Let us pray. Father, this is your church, and this is your servant. We ask, O oh God, that you speak through me as your church listens and hears. We thank you for this opportunity to hear your word. We have prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. So turn with me once again to the passage that was read. And in that passage, the Apostle Paul motivates believers towards giving. And let me remind you once again of my thesis statement, give in love and reap abundantly because God himself is the source and reward of our giving. The Apostle Paul writes, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purpose in his heart, not gradually of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always have an all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgiving to God, while through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ, and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. And a capstone, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Amen. Give in love, in love and reap abundantly because God is the source and reward of our giving. Now, if we understand what this thesis statement is about, we actually see that it is quite profound because here, when I say God is the source and reward of our giving, I am basically implying that Christians are better resourced for generosity than anyone else. And why? Because God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, is himself the source of our giving. If God is the one that funds our giving, who can actually compete with us when it comes into giving? So let's return to the passage again, and, and now precisely verses 6 and 7. The Apostle Paul once again reminds, he said, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously 
will also reap generously. Each of you should decide what you want to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So you note that the Apostle Paul in these two verses talks about two attitudes towards giving. One doesn't lead to much blessing. The other one does. And the Apostle Paul contrasts six and, I mean, these two attitudes by saying that first you have the one that sows sparingly, the one that gives reluctantly, the one that gives under compulsion. The end result, he doesn't receive much. He reaps sparingly. He reaps very little. Then you have the guy who sows generously, willingly, and with a cheerful heart. And the results, the harvest is bountiful. And the Apostle Paul advised all believers that decide what you want your future to look like based on how you give today. Because it is what you give now that determines what your future will really be like. It's all up to you. It's all up to you. You decide. And I think that is quite instructive that in Scripture, we do have an indication that giving need not be compulsion. Need not be by compulsion. That the believer must decide that this is what I have decided to give unto the Lord. And that decision is informed by love for him and for what he knows God is able to do for that believer. So you can decide to be like a farmer who sows sparingly, withhold a seed and are willing to put as many as he wishes into the ground. He calls himself a full-time farmer, but he only works on less than an acre of a land. He is unmotivated. He doesn't believe in a great future for himself and his family. He lives a life of mediocrity. And you know, unfortunately, there are a lot of Christians like that. They have little ambition for themselves and for their families. They don't have a big vision for their lives. And so they can't understand why God or how God can think, I mean, how God can have such a big thing for them. They themselves don't conceive a big vision for themselves. And then you have the other farmer. He is highly ambitious. He invests in hectares of land and mobilizes himself and others and fills the whole land with maize, cashew, and cocoa beans. The results, great harvest, great returns on his investment. And the Apostle Paul, in effect, is saying, giving is really like that. What you give to God determines what you get back from him. What you sow is what you reap, and the value addition is always in proportion to what has been given. If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. The decision is really yours. But I can imagine someone asking, ah, but also for, if, you know, if this is true, and, and true as this is, why don't all believers just embrace this truth and give generously and, and be blessed abundantly? Because everybody would like to be blessed abundantly. Well, that is what you would expect, except this. There are the two 
attitudes towards giving that I have talked about are really informed by two kinds of hearts or dispositions towards God. And what I mean by those two kind of hearts are one I call despairing heart and the other I call the bountiful heart. In every group of people, in every church, you have those with sparing heart and those with bountiful hearts. And who is the person with a sparing heart? The sparing heart has a relationship with God, all right, but he feels God, he feels him as a taker. God is always asking money from us through the church. Fundraising, fundraising, fundraising. So every time he hears about fundraising, he sees God, he's going to there, he goes again. He's going to take away from me. Because you see, if you feel your life is constantly being drained by God because he's so incessantly and solely demanding, then you see what you do is that you react. You want to, you know, hold on to whatever you have so that you don't lose it all. If you always see your vision of God, you see him as, you know, always saying, you know, give me, give me, give me, then your attitude is, I'm going to hold on to what I have. So that is one disposition towards God. And there are believers, I hope, and I'm sure they are not here at Calvary, who sees God that way. That God is always asking money from them through the church. And then you have the other guy who has a bountiful heart. And the one with a bountiful heart sees God as a giver, as a supplier, as a helper. When this person looks to God, he feels replenished, not drained. Even when this person hears a command coming from God to give again, he hears it as a hopeful sign, a hopeful gift that it will result in more blessings and not a depleting demand. So what makes the difference between the two hearts? The sparing heart, the sparing disposition towards God, and the bountiful disposition towards God. It is our perception of God, really. And even among believers, not everybody sees God in the same way. So this morning, and I'm sure you know that, you know, after my sermon, we'll be doing some fundraising for the church and for the auditorium specifically. But as we approach fundraising for the Lord's church this morning, I want to ask you, have you assessed yourself ever to see your heart's disposition towards God? What kind of heart do you think you have? And how do you see God? Paul knows that when it comes to giving, that is a fundamental issue for a lot of believers. And so 
in the, in the next verse, so have, we, we, Paul has contrasted for us in verses 6 and 7 about these two attitudes that are informed by these two you know, dispositions towards God. And in verse 8, the apostle Paul eloquently you know, put that you know, fear to rest. He tells us and assures us we don't need to approach God with suspicion. We don't need to come to God afraid that he will take away from us. But by the way, what do we actually mean that God is actually to take from us if fundamentally we believe everything that we have is from God? Because you see, the problem that we have or when it comes to giving, it's not so much about our unwillingness to give what we have to him, but our misunderstanding that what we have has been loaned to us in the first place. So if your understanding of what you have is that it is exclusively mine, I have worked for it, that is why I went to school, that is why I interviewed very hard you know, for the job, that is why I've worked so hard, that is why this business is all about me, then when you are given to him, it's like God is taking it from you, right? But if it's your attitude that God is the one that gives riches to men and women, and he's the one that has made me who I am, and that whatever I have is his, then giving it to him is because I say, Lord, I'm just returning back to you some of the things that you have blessed me with. It's an attitude, isn't it? But nonetheless, the Apostle Paul, in preparing Christians for giving, you know, tries to put this suspicion to rest, this suspicion about God that he's there to just grab it, you know, from us. By this verse, which happens to be one of my favorite texts in all of Scripture when it comes to giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. This is what the Apostle Paul says. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that you may have always enough of everything and may provide in abundance for every good work. God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that you may always have enough of everything and may provide in abundance for every good one. That is quite, what is very profound about this passage is that the Apostle Paul is not saying that God is able to provide all that we need. No, he doesn't say that. He says that God is able to provide all that we need and in abundance. Why? So that we have a lot for ourselves when we have given? No, 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 no. So that you may always have everything you need and on top of that, that you will abound in every good work. I said it earlier, the reason why God blesses us, you know, so that we'll stand in public and praise him and let everybody say, look at what God has made me. Look at the car that I drive. Look at the, you know, the house that I built. Look at the children and where they've gone to school. The reason why God has blessed us is not that we will show it off. The reason why God has so blessed us that we will pass it on. That the blessings will be enough 
for our own home, but adequate for others to benefit from. That is the purpose of God's great blessing. And here, the Apostle Paul, and I alluded to that, I brought a coin, and on this 50 Pessoa coin, you have on one side the coat of arms, and then on the other side, I see a woman. Now, I don't know who the woman is, um, but Paul in verse 8 is talking about God is a giver on both sides of our giving. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is that if you look at a coin, you have two sides. On the one side, which is God funds our giving. And after the coin, after we have given, God rewards our giving. God is a giver on both sides of our giving. And that's what I mean when I say he's the source and reward of our giving. He's a giver on both sides of our giving. On the back side, enabling our giving with his blessing. If you're able to bring offering or tithes or participate in the fundraise, it's because you acknowledge God has already blessed you. And after you have given and God blesses you and he does bless us, doesn't he? He has rewarded you for having given. So the attitude that we have and that we must have is that in the first place, whatever we have is his. And when we come to grips with this, it really will fill our hearts with hope that the commitment you make towards this fundraising today, which is given to God, is only going to be possible, but it's only going to be one of the most spiritual acts that you participate in today. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you may always have enough of everything and may provide in abundance for every good work. But the Apostle Paul is saying that God wants to be known to believers, even those reluctant givers, that God is a bountiful God. That he is able, omnipotently able, to give us whatever we need so that we become rich, not only for our sake, but so that we will become perpetual givers. I illustrate it this way. It's like a funnel. Blessings in, blessings out, and then recycle continues, and then blessings in, and blessings out. Blessings in, blessings out, blessings in, blessings out. It's a cycle. It's like a wheel of giving and receiving and giving and receiving. I'm afraid you can't be tired of giving to God because you can't be tired of receiving from him, can you? We must always be giving because we are always receiving from him. Hallelujah. That is what God wants to do in our lives. Not just be able to meet our needs, but he's able to make all grace upon us that wherever we are, and, and that is what I like. You know, wherever we are, in whatever circumstance we find ourselves, when the Apostle Paul, God can make all grace abound to you at all times. The Apostle Paul is basically saying, 
God is able to so reach and reach you that in every place you find yourself, in whatever circumstances, you will abound in good works. You see, if all that God did for us is to just bless us for our own sake, so that we can build that one house, our dream house, so that we can buy that dream car that we aspired, you know, to buy, so that we can take our children to do schools, good schools, and that we can pay all the bills. If that's all God's blessings is about, that is not equal to abandoned life, is it? Abandoned life must overflow from us to others. And that is the intent of God for believers. And so the Apostle Paul does it in such a way that it removes all suspicion from us about God when it comes to giving. Now, I don't like to talk about myself, but I like to just use some stuff in my own life, you know, as an illustration. When I was growing up, I grew up in a very, very difficult family background. My father was unavailable. Um, my mother and father had divorced, and he had left my mother to take care of us. And my mother, you know, struggled, you know, she would travel, she would come. So I lived with grandma many times, and when I managed to go through school, and I was, you know, by God's grace, quite brilliant in school, primary school, um, I sat for the common entrance so many times, I will pass, my father, I will go, he's not ready to, he basically said that his father didn't look after him in school, so he can't, he won't do that. So, form one, form two, form three, form four, finally, I decided, okay, so, all the top schools that I had applied for, I couldn't go to, so finally, I decided, I grew up in a Buyakwa, you know, so I chose a school that was not too far, so even if I had to walk, I could walk, and that was Osei to do secondary school. And even when I got there, my name was Top. I got government scholarship, but to buy trunk or get those days and anything, you know, to carry me with, you know, to school was not there. I had to fall on the generosity of some church members, you know, to really take me through secondary and beyond. And when I had to go to university, you know, I had no support. I had to move to Abidjan because I had a brother who lived there and he wasn't doing that well. And you know, once again, God used the generosity of somebody, an American missionary, to take me through university. And when I went to America to go to seminary, you know, the seminary I went to, Trinity Divinity was one of the best seminaries in the U.S., but it was expensive, they didn't give scholarship, you know, to people. But somehow, three years at the seminary, you know, God somehow used people in the church that attended to take me through seminary. People will call the school and ask what is Charles, you know, account balance, and they will pay something anonymously. And I had no idea. There was a family in the States for seven years that we live in the States, paid our rent every month. See how God blesses us and uses us to bless others? 
And so I know for well, I remember when I was about to come to Ghana, I met with, you remember Reverend Sharp, uh, Donna Sharp, and he asked me, so, Dr. Yeboa, now you are going back to Ghana. You finished your PhD yeah, and all of that. What would you want people to really to remember about you, about this great accomplishment that you have made, you know, done for yourself? And I remember telling Reverend Sharp that, you know, one thing is so clear to me. I couldn't have done it without God and his people. You see, we have to understand that it is all about him. Now, if we have that pride and attitude and think I was smart in school, you know, I mean, I could have said, oh, I was smart. You know, I went there, I passed, I got into PhD. You know, I did my best. So, listen, I did very well. And I'll tell, you know, my children, you know, how smart their dad was. No, 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 no. The attitude must always be, it is him that makes us who we are. And it is he who made us, who has made us who we are. And I can go on and tell you so many things about what God has done. You know, that here is a gentleman who had difficulty actually find, you know, funding his school. And today, if you know the ICS story, by God's grace, not by me, has built one of the best schools in the country. If you go to Kumase, there's, endless, there's very little, I mean, you have to find, you have to look very, very hard to find a school in Ghana, international school, with that kind of infrastructure that we have put in place. And in about a few weeks' time, we would have done something in Accra that looks different from any school in this country. And this has been done by somebody that God had to fund, right? God had to fund through his people to get to where he is. That is how it works, brothers and sisters. And that is what we need to understand. That God is the one that picks us up from wherever. And I'm sure a lot of you, if you were to stand here and tell stories of your life, and I'm sure a lot of you were brilliant in school and, and you got to you know, where you are or you've gotten to where you are by dint of hard work also. But you also know had, not, had it not been God, you wouldn't have been where you are. What about the strength? What about the life itself, the precious life itself? And look at you sitting here in the midst of a pandemic with so many lives lost. Why are you living and not others who have gone. In verse 9, quickly, the Apostle Paul picks up an image that Paul used in verse 6, namely the image of sowing seed. In verse 6, he said that if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. Now, in verse 9, he gives an illustration taken from Psalm 112, verse 6, of a person who sows seed bountifully. As it is written, he writes, He scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. So the sowing seed in verse 6 and the scattering of seed in verse 9 is a free and generous giving of help to meet the needs of the poor. And this generosity is called righteousness in verse 9. Now in verse 10, the Apostle Paul takes Old Testament quote from verse 9 and brings it out in relation to God. 
He's the one who gives the seed for scattering. And he's the one who will bring harvest from this righteousness. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your resources. So you see, once again, God is the giver on the backside of our giving again. He gives a seed so we can scatter it abroad. Then verse 1, he says, and he will increase the harvest of your righteousness. And what does that mean? Well, righteousness in verse 9 is the general scattering of seed to those in need. The harvest of righteousness is what grows up as a result of this scattering. In other words, the apostle Paul is saying, God will increase the harvest of your righteousness, meaning that he who sows bountifully, reaps bountifully, it is God who is making sure that the seed that we have sown generate, I mean, germinates and grows, and then we can have a bountiful harvest. So the point of verse 10 is that God is a giver, not a taker, on both sides of our giving. He gives seed before we give so that we can sow it. Listen, he gives seed so we can sow generously. And then he gives harvest after we have sown. And the harvest, if we have sown generously, is usually very bountiful. I want to bring my message, you know, to a close by, you know, um, talking about three other things as we... The Apostle Paul says that the, in verse 12 to 15, quickly, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the lost people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts, in their prayers for you, go out to you because of the surpassing grace of God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The Apostle Paul quickly is saying that giving is overflowing in expression of thanksgiving unto God. And so when we get a chance today to pledge or to give our offering and tithes, it is overflowing with thanksgiving to him. We are not just saying, okay, well, it's church time, so let's give. Every time we come here, we give. No, 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 no. Any giving time is an opportunity to be expressing our gratefulness to him. That's the first, you know, one point here. And the other point is that generous giving is causing others to praise God for the fruitfulness of our lives. We see your good deeds and praise God forever. You know, what God wants to do in our lives is not just so blessed that we will give thanks to him. What God wants to do in our lives is that he will so bless us and because he so blessed us and our lives have affected so many lives that others besides us will clap for God. That is what he wants to do. God demands praise from all men. Our praise is not enough. And the praises of those whom we bless make God's blessings and, and the praise that we give to him complete. And then finally, generous giving is imitating God. Who first give 
his son to us. You know, I don't know what the figure, the full amount, you know, we, the church is looking for, you know, to, to, um, to finish this. And after this, there will be other projects. And there will be other projects. And even if you were capable, one family, one person, to write a huge check to take care of all the needs of the church, you will not outgive God. God is the one that first gave to us. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have an everlasting life. There is a direct link of our giving to the proclamation of the gospel that says God loved the world by giving his son to us. What do you think, believers, the headline will be when we get into heaven? What do you think the headline will be when believers surround the throne? Do you think it will be that the people that walks, I mean, drives on potholes in Accra and in Ghana are now walking on the streets of gold? I'm sure it will be in the mix there somewhere. Maybe a sub theme. Do you think it will be that some people that were not regarded in the world, especially those from the developed world, now are, you know, having tete-a-tete with God and the sins from all over the world, including the developed world? Well, that will be in the mix also. Maybe a sub theme. Do you know what I think? The main headline, when we get into heaven, this is what a headline might read, I'm not sure. But if there are journalists watching the saints gathered around God, the headline will be, look and see these disgraced and condemned sinners now surround the throne of God because God sent his son to die for them. There is no giving without reference to what God has done for us in Christ. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This morning as we approach Thanksgiving, as we approach giving, I want you to think in those terms. God is not asking you to do anything he's not done for you. He is not asking you to give without having given to you in the first place. I have come this morning prepared, not just as a preacher, but as a participant of what we are going to do today. And it's because I feel God has blessed me. And when God blesses you, you should let that reflect in the way that you give. I hope that is your attitude this morning also. There's a song that I like to sing, and I'm going to ask the choir to help me, and I'm going to ask you to join me as we sing this song. It's a powerful song, and it really articulates the fact that whatever we become, whatever we have become, it is God. It is not us. Medewa Sedaka. Medewa Sedaka. Can you stand with me? Medewa Sedaka. Mede wasida ko, mede wasida ko, mede wasida ko.
Like me, whose father abandoned him. A mother could do nothing about him. And go back into high to find support to go to school. And today can stand among men of God and those that God has blessed and, and build schools that people can go to. What has he not done for you? What can he not do for you? God is able to make all grace about. That in all things, having all sufficiency, you will have all that you need and abound in every good works. Why don't you close your eyes quietly? Give thanks to God for what he has turned your life into. Now listen, I don't know what my life from now is going to be. And I don't need to know. There's one thing that I know, he's already blessed me abundantly. But there's another thing that I know, that God is not done with me yet. And there is more that he can do. The Bible says he's able to do more than we think and can imagine. He can do that in your life. If your heart is disposed towards him. Why don't you say a small prayer to him? You know, and let him prepare your hearts. For today's fundraising and forgiving. 
thank him for what he has done for you. Give your future back to him and tell him, do whatever you want to do. My heart is open. My heart is open, Lord. My heart is open. Do what you want to do with this life. My heart is open. You've done so much for me already. My heart is open. Father, we have heard your word proclaimed. You have told us that if today we are standing on our feet and we can be counted among the living, it is because of you. You have told us today that if we can give anything to you, it is because of you. Today you have told us that our very lives is in your hands and look at what you've done for so many of us. It is because of you. It is because of you. And as we look forward into the future that you have for us, Father, we place our lives in your hands as, as if we are on the altar, oh God, and we say, do what you have to do. And we move by faith this morning and say, we will contribute immensely towards the building of your church right here at Chiaji. And I do so because we do so, Lord, because we believe that you have a much bigger, broader, more bountiful future for us than we can imagine anything. Thank you for hearing us. For we have prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. There are some platforms that are being distributed to you. This is fundraising 2021. And so what we want you to do with this platform is to write your name or the group. It can be the WMU, it can be the Men's Fellowship, it can be whatever you know, fellowship group that you are part of. Please write your name, your email address, the amount, it can be a one-time, it can be a monthly, it can be quarterly. We are giving you up to three months because this fundraising is for 2021. And so this month, next month, and then up to December, up to November. So September, October, November, so we have the money to wrap up. You can give 5,000 monthly, you can give 10,000 monthly, you can give 20,000 as a one-time offering. And they did display the amount we are trying to raise, 424 thousand, right? So I'm sure you can see on the, on the screen, uh, the ceiling works will cost us 105,000, air conditioning will cost us 200,000, uh, we don't have the doors yet, but the LED screens, 19,000, the electrical works, and I was asking uh, Reverend Digby, you know, what these were, and he was telling me that uh, they're already starting where the pipes, you know, will go through. Um, and then partitioning and sealing work will cost us 
and then the mezzanine, and then the mezzanine too. So this, this, this year, be, between now and November, uh, before the year ends, our target is to ra try and raise 444,000. 444, so it is changed. 444,863 Ghana cities. USD, whoops, sorry. 